I'm going to read you something out of Matthew 5 first, though. Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said of, of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. I just thought I'd throw that in there before I start with Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? I, I can't get past that stuff when I remember, wait a minute, didn't someone say we're not supposed to call people fools? And then you read this. And I, and I prayed. I said, okay, okay. And he says, he doesn't call them fools. He says you're being foolish. And I tell you, we can act that way. You're acting like a foolish, per, like a fool. You aren't one, but you're acting like one. I know you're not one, but you're acting like one. And there's a clear distinction there. So Paul's not violating Christ when he says that to them. He's just a very honest friend, you know? <laughs> You're acting like a fool. And we all need those honest friends in our lives. I think that's very important. We should marry a very honest friend, is my opinion. Um, maybe not call me foolish, but I, I'll take the criticism because you need it. Nobody sees themselves very clearly. Um, but others see us pretty well. And so Paul says, as I'm looking at this region, these churches in this region, remember Galatia is a region, and he's been watching the Jews come in behind him and try to turn Christianity into just another sect of Judaism. And that's all it would have been if Paul hadn't stepped in here. And he spent the first two chapters telling them, look, the people that came from Jerusalem, I've already met with them. They know what I'm about. They know what I taught you. And they said it was okay. Although they seem to be pillars, remember he called them that last week, they seem to be pillars, they seem to be men of reputation, God doesn't respect a person. And he tried to bring those guys, not down, but level with these people. We can get starstruck sometimes, I would imagine, and we even say that to ourselves, even as Christians, oh, I can't wait to beat Peter. We're starstruck by some of the guys in the Bible, but Paul wasn't ever starstruck by these guys. He just saw them for who they were, men who had encountered Jesus Christ in their worst places of their lives, had relied on him for their salvation like he has, and have grown. And God has put them in a position, and he honors the position. Paul doesn't say he doesn't honor that position. He went to them up to Jerusalem to, to see the council. But he understands that his employer, the, the, the man who called him, is God. And so... He's not afraid to tell these Galatians, look, who has bewitched you? You wouldn't get this kind of doctrine from reading the Bible. You wouldn't get this from me. You didn't get this from me, is what Paul's saying. You got this from somebody else. Who came in and messed up your salvation? Who's bewitched you? Pretty strong words. It's not like a different way, or that's just their personality type, or whatever it is kind of things that we put on people, that's just, you know, their, their flavor. No, it was bewitching, which is not a good thing. Someone has put a spell on you, is basically what he's trying to say, and confused you. 
about your simple salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. Who's done this to you? And you know, when you ask someone that question, it, it came to their mind. It was, it was that guy that came through, that we paid to tell us how bad we were and how our salvation was kind of close, but not really all the way there. And so we asked him that question, you're, you're, you're acting the fool. You had everything, but you gave it up for something that was because you were starstruck with the people that came by and you wanted to impress man. Um, it's dangerous. Who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So that's important because the very thing those guys were telling them was you must obey the law. You must obey the truth. And it was taught in such a way that to not do the law of the Jews and Christianity would be to be disobedient to God. And we still have that today with legalism that creeps into the church. That legalism comes in and we're, at, we're told that we're half as good as we should be. We're not quite there yet. I mean, if you truly understood it, then you wouldn't eat any kind of meat or you wouldn't worship on Sunday or you wouldn't be using that other version, you know, of the Bible. And they bring that in. And Paul would say the same thing to them. Who is doing this? Don't be that person. Don't listen to those people. Trust your relationship with Christ. And trust that he's begun a good work in you. He's going to tell them that here. And he was preached crucified. Last week, we talked about how if, if, if you could be made perfect by the law, then Christ died in vain. But we preached him crucified to you. Jesus had that conversation in the garden. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he went to the cross, which means the end of that conversation in the garden was there is no other way. The fact that he went to the cross proves that there was no other way. And Paul says, we taught that to you. We clearly portrayed him as crucified. Now someone's come in and said that wasn't enough. And that there is another way. And Paul's here to steer the ship back on course. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? It was by the hearing of faith. Now he's, he's leading them down to Abraham. He's trying to get them prepped for what he's going to use as an example here. And so he's talking about faith. The law did get you there. That was from Moses. But faith got you there. That was from Abraham, who was before Moses. The father of our faith, every Jew would tell you, doesn't start with Jacob. doesn't start with Isaac. It starts with Abraham. Our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they go all the way back to Abraham. Very important. And so he's taking them there. He's leading them there in their thought process. Did you get it by the law? No, the law made us feel guilty. Exactly. Right. Or by the hearing of faith. Oh, there's faith. There's an option. There's someone I can believe in, someone who's taken the penalty for me. Are you so foolish? Of course not, is the implication. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Do you absolutely think that the flesh is going to do better than what the Spirit's been doing in your life? Do you think your self-discipline is going to make, pale, make, make the Spirit's work in your life pale in comparison to what you've been doing in the, in, the, in the flesh now? No, of course not. It's a foolish thought. God has begun to work in every one of us here this, this evening by the Spirit. We're all born again, I hope. I hope you are. And um, He's bringing that about in us. He's growing us up. There's a, there's a way about Him. And it's different for each person. 
Each person is brought along in the faith in a different way, just like any child would be raised a little bit differently based on their personalities and their needs, their gifts. They're, they're special in certain areas. They're not cookie cutter. The law is cookie cutter. The law says and stamps you into this, whereas the Spirit says, no, 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 no. We've got to do this first and then that first. Now that guy, we need to do this first. Then we're going to do that. And over here, she definitely needs this first. And it's all different. And so he's trying to teach them that the Spirit has begun a good work in you and he's going to complete it. It's going to be a good thing. You can't perfect it in the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as, and here's the, here, he, here he pulls it in, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. It's not blood. It, you're not related to Abraham based off of your uh, genealogy. You're related to Abraham based off of your faith. Those are the sons. Those are the daughters, the ones that come to faith. The ones that are of the genealogy of Abraham but do not have faith, they're not his sons or daughters. And they thought they were. And that's their spiel. Here's the thing. Don't you know Jews and Gentiles that our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And don't you want to be a part of that wonderful heritage? Well, yeah, we sure do. Well, then you got to do this. Because that's what we do. And Paul says, no, we don't. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That was the gospel. The gospel was with Abraham. The gospel that Jesus preaches and that Paul preaches and that Peter preached and that all the guys preached is the same gospel that God preached to Abraham. It's the same good news. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you because Abraham, we don't know where he came. I mean, we know where he came from, but he wasn't anything, I don't know. God just picked him. He was a friend. And as they have this relationship and God says, do you believe me? And he did believe him. And he showed him that by taking his son Isaac on top of the hill. I want you to do this for me, Abraham. I want you to do something. I want you to take your son Isaac and take him to the hill and sacrifice. And he says, okay. You promised me that I was going to have a son and that he was going to have many descendants. And you want me to take that same son that was of that promise and kill him? But I believe you can do this, God. And he did it. And that's where God says he was justified by what he did. He, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Saying you're a Christian, saying you believe in God, saying you believe the Bible, but when your actions don't line up with it, that means you're not telling the truth. Our actions show what we believe. Our actions prove what we believe. They aren't the works that save us, but they prove what we believe. It proves our faith. That's what James tried to get across. And that's what Paul's trying to get across. Abraham was accounted righteous once he did the act. I believe God, I'm going to take him and do what God's asked me to do to him. And that was accounted to him for righteousness. Likewise, any of us, any person that believes God and trusts in him, places their eternity in his hands, they're of the same lineage as Abraham. 
and that's by faith, and that's by the Spirit. In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Um, I don't, some people get that, and some don't, so I'm going to break it down a little bit. If, if you're going to add the law now, I'm a believing Christian, I've been baptized, um, I'm now going to add the law to my life, and I'm going to begin to keep the feasts, and I'm going to, even though God says He's fulfilled all those things in Christ, I'm going to start keeping the feasts of the Old Covenant, the Old Law. Even though we have a New Testament, I'm going to follow the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to do the feasts, and I'm going to do all the law. Paul says if you, if you try to do that, to add to your faith, you're now under the curse. The law is fine, but you break the law, then you go under the curse. Failure of the law brings you under the curse. Curse isn't there until you break the law. We all get that. Paul says as soon as, as, soon, as, soon as anybody, for, if, for as many as are, under the, are of the works of the law are under the curse. It's instantaneous because we break the law. So you want to put yourself under the law? Great, you're under the curse. You've immediately put yourself under the curse. Um, there's a sentence of death over you because you can't keep it. Because cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You, you can't choose which parts you're going to keep. It's, it's not a smorgasbord. It's not a buffet. I'm going to have a little mac and cheese, some grapes, but I don't want the green stuff. The Old Testament is complete. You need to do all of this. The Old Testament, the law, was given after Abraham. And he's going to explain that here. Why did he give the law? What was the purpose of the law then? If it isn't to keep it, and we're automatically cursed under it, why did the law even get added? If it was with Abraham beforehand, and Moses comes many generations later, and brings us the law, what, what, what is that? Why didn't we just stick with Abraham? He's going to tell us. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. That's out of Hosea. Or Habakkuk, sorry. I got an H there at least. It's a 50-50 chance, wasn't it? Yet the law is not of faith. But the man, that, uh, the man who does them shall live by them. This is the same words that freed Martin Luther King. Or not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther. Um, from his work's quest for salvation. As he's on the, his knees going up the steps, this is the scripture that came to mind out of Habakkuk 1.4, I believe. Um, no, Habakkuk 2.4, excuse me. Um, the just shall live by faith. He thought the just would live by works. The just would live by obedience. The just would live by all these other things that were going on in his mind. And God, when he's going through that, struggling, basically beating himself for the wicked person that he was, this is the scripture that God gave him. The just shall live by faith. You're going to trust in Christ. And it set him free. Yet the law is not of faith, he says, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ became the curse for us. Very simple. Brethren, 
I speak in the manner of men. And here it is. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it, right? If you write up a contract and everybody signs it, that's it. You can't add to it later after the signatures are on the bottom. That's illegal because they didn't know they signed up for that. They signed up for what was specifically there. Okay. Uh, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. That was the covenant way back then with those guys. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now Paul was brilliant. Scholar. Um, this is what this guy did. I mean, he, he, his profession was to study. You know, and some people are like that. And so when he writes stuff like this, even as a, you know, someone who's been a Christian for, you know, I don't know how many, how long, 28 years now, you still get a little, you got to break these things down in my mind. I have to get this in my head. A lot of you guys got it right away and you're like, amen, that's awesome. I'm like, okay, I got to think this stuff through a little bit. I got to get this right. What they misunderstood was they thought everybody that was of the genealogy of Abraham was the blessed ones in the seed. And he's trying to correct a, a, a false understanding of that. No, no, no. He didn't say seeds. Your bloodline doesn't save you. It's to the seed, singular, which is Christ. And that was new to them. The Christ is the only seed that was going to be a blessing to the world. You guys aren't. It's not seeds. It's seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which is 430 years later, cannot annul. It cannot change it. It wasn't ever meant to. It was meant to clarify. So you've got this covenant with Abraham. You need me and you need this seed that's going to come from you, that I'm going to give you by faith. And people who believe in Christ, the seed, they're going to be blessed. Now there's a gap there though. Saved from what? Because although they knew that, and they, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we all do the things we're supposed to do according to God's word, and we, we do this, that, and the other, and offer up sacrifices, nobody, he doesn't define it. That, then the law comes in. The law was written, and this is what he's going to get to in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? Why was the law there? What's with this old covenant? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. He had to add the law. The law is to clarify. It's a, it's a footnote. It's a, here's what I mean. Here's what you're getting saved from. The, the, the contract is in full force, but you need to understand. So then he writes the law splits it, inserts it. Here's the definition of why you're being saved. Here's the law. And as you read through the fine print, which is what the law is, I'm, I'm doing my best not to be blasphemous, but to explain it in a way that I can understand, and maybe this helps. The law is the fine print that says, oh my goodness, I'm completely guilty. I mean, I knew I needed this. 
I knew this was a good contract. I knew it came from God. But as you read through the law, you're like, I've done that, and I've done that, and I've done that. Man, I'm in big trouble. You were already in big trouble before you got this law. You were already in big trouble before the contract was written. We were in big trouble a long time ago. The, the, the law inserted into this that was brought in by Moses is simply to tell us, here's, here's the details of how, how big of trouble you're in. And you read it, and you're like, you can, nobody can go to heaven if they break any of this. You've got to be perfect, but you can't steal. You can't even have that kind of thought. Thoughts? Like, I haven't killed anybody, so I've got that one down. I've thought about killing them, you know. Well, then you're guilty. So I don't get to go to heaven because I, I thought about killing that guy. Nope, you're done. I'm, a glad, I'm glad I signed that contract. That's what the law is for. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the Scripture has confirmed or confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. What had happened was, you got this contract, you signed it, you knew you needed to be saved, the law is very clear, I've broken it, but now they want you to go back through and now say, you need to keep all of this, keep all that insert, for it to be effective. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with rereading it. There's nothing wrong with looking at the Ten Commandments and confirming the fact that, boy, I'm glad I have Jesus. But the problem comes in when it becomes a way of salvation, a way of righteousness. If I just keep all of this, if I just do all this, then I can be better, more saved. You can't be more saved. You're as saved as you're ever going to be. You're just saved from that. And it's interesting as you read through and as you, as, you, as you read the Bible more and more in your walk with Jesus, you realize how much more guilty you were than you thought you were. That's what happened to Paul. He would read and he'd say, I'm pretty, pretty close. And then he'd read some more and say, I'm not very close. And then he'd read some more and say, I'm about the worst guy that ever lived. That was his progression and his maturity. As he studied the law, he didn't get better at it. He just got more condemned by it. And he understood that. And these guys have come in, not coming to that conclusion themselves, and think it's best to teach people, now you really need to do these things. And it's funny how people, we were joking around about that back there, but it's funny how people, when they get something down in the law, like they're pretty good at keeping it, that becomes their thing that nobody else is doing and should be doing. That's how we are. I was joking around. I, I, I don't drink Mountain Dew anymore. I just quit. And uh, it's been two months or something like that. I just done. And Toby walks in with a Diet Mountain Dew or, di or Diet Pepsi. I said, you know, Toby, you really shouldn't be drinking soda. It's bad for you. <laughs> Kidding. You know, I drank for 20 years. I've had a six-pack of bottles every day for 20 years. I'm pretty much embalmed. I think I'm good. <laughs> you know? And so I made the joke. 
Because isn't that how it is? Oh, I'm on these new whatevers. Fill in the blank. I mean, it can be any kind of health item. I'm doing this new thing. Oh, it's just fabulous. You should be doing it, you know. (laughs) That's what these guys do. They come in with the things they're good at. Another example at Boyle's when I worked there as the parks manager, and I know nothing about cars, I'd just like to throw that in there. (laughs) God puts you in funny places sometimes. I don't know anything about cars. Anyway, I was going to say brother, maybe, came up to me with a little newspaper article that he clipped out of the St. Joe Newspass to bring to me. Look, teachers, they're getting tattoos down there. And he was expecting me to go, and I looked at him, I said, cool, what, what kind of tattoos are they getting? Are they inappropriate? I mean, in the wrong spot or what's it? He goes, no, they're tattoos. You know what the Bible says about tattoos. And he clung to that because he doesn't have any tattoos. Not looking at anybody specifically, John. (laughs) But he clung to that because that's something he didn't do. So he's kept that one thing in the law. And he's better than everybody else that hasn't kept that one thing in the law. And I said, you know there's a comma in that sentence that you're not supposed to cut the corners of your beard. He was clean as a whistle. So you're equally as guilty as the teachers getting the tattoos because you've shaved. And they just look at you like, you're not supposed to talk like that. We're supposed to gang up on the people that have tattoos. We don't do this to each other. No. And that was Paul's passion. I've been down the law road. I've been to the end of this, or as far as it could any, anybody else could get. Maybe they could do better than me, but probably not. I was chief among all of them. And there ain't nothing there because, except guilt and failure. I'm really going to stop that this time. I'm really not going to do it this time. And then you do. And you feel condemned, and you feel horrible. And you, look, and Christ wanted to take all of that away from us, He doesn't want us to all be wicked sinners running amok. Don't misunderstand me. But he wanted to take away all of that from us and said, I have saved you. Salvation is in the rearview mirror. It's done. It's passed. It's banked. You're going there. You are bought, purchased with a price. price. And I've paid the price. I'm going to redeem you. I am your redeemer. It's all been paid for. I'm coming to get you. Now live for me. Not to, not for yourself, because the law teaches people to live for themselves. They're not being kind because they love that person. They're being kind because the law told them to be kind, and if they're not kind, they're not going to heaven. And it completely reverses the point of trying to be a kind person. Of course it makes the world a better place when you're kind. It does. A lot of these platitudes that people put off, even from the secular world, are very accurate. It's very kind. And wonderful when you're a blessing to people. I, I even saw someone, a little, well, I don't know who posted it, so I better be careful. But they admired the fact that this was happening. I don't know if I can even share it. Because the end result was 
it's a good thing we have these people doing kind things because they're not doing it for religious persons, per, uh, uh, purposes. They're just doing these kind things uh, because they're kind people. And I, I wanted to cry. I said, no, they're not doing it because they're kind. They're doing it because it makes them feel better. They're unbelievers. It makes them feel better. They like the accolades. They love the kudos. They like the slap on the back, and that's why they do it. Interesting picture of Joe Biden speaking to a homeless man. And the quote was, see, see, he's genuine. This is what character is when no one's looking. And I said, and yet there's the picture. (laughs) Interestingly enough, a week ago, he puts it out there that I might be running in 2020. And the next week, there's a picture of old Joe. Joe's been around for a long time. And no one's caught a picture of him doing this before. Just warning you. The guy's... But it was done with a cell phone. They're not stupid. They're not going to get a 35 millimeter telephoto out. They're going to use something that's a little grainy, a little. It's selfish. People do things to look good when they're. Now, you take salvation and you put it in the rearview mirror. You're banked. I'm going to heaven. Christ has purchased me. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to live with him forever. Now, the rest of my life is living out of gratitude for what he's done for me not for gain. And so we actually get changed. You know, in the Old Testament, it tells us that the, and, and, and we still use this as Christians, and I want to caution you not to use this anymore as a Christian because it's used wrongly, this scripture, if you use it. Um, but it talks about all of our righteousnesses as filthy rags before the Lord. And we think that's somehow um, uh, noble, to use that scripture about ourselves. My righteousness is, is, and we stick our chest out when we quote this verse, my righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord, I said proudly. Not after Christ. No, my righteousness, the things that I do for people because I love them, um, I'm not doing for salvation anymore. I'm doing it actually, honestly, for the first time with a pure heart. I don't care who sees me or not. I don't try to do it in secret so I can get my reward in heaven later. I just do it. And if someone sees me, sorry. I don't care if I got anything out of that anyway. I just wanted that person to make sure they were taken care of. And I certainly wasn't going to deny them the blessing because someone might see me do it. You just start doing stuff because, because you love God and you love people for the first time. Paul sees a greater danger with the law than I think often we do. It's just a little this, a little that. Paul knew it would undermine everything. It's, a, it's the thread that they pull and it just unravels their faith. Don't think you're going to get better by starting to obey the law. You're not more saved. You're not closer to God. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, if you walk with God, you're not going to sin. It's only when we're not walking with God that we sin. So, I speak in the manner of men. This seed is Christ, not your genealogy. And it comes by promise. And nothing the law did can take that away. Abraham was saved by grace. And then we got the law, and now we're back to grace. It's always been grace. I think of Jesus' birth. When Mary was pregnant, Joseph was a little sketchy about the situation. 
And he was, what was he supposed to do according to the law? Should have stoned her. What did he want to do and what could he do? He's going to put her away secretly. That's a great guy. That's a great guy. Because he didn't have to. He could have put her up against the wall and told everybody about it. Because his feelings were hurt. Because his pride was hurt. That tells you what kind of character Joseph had. We don't hear much about him, but that shows you his character. I was just going to put her away secretly. That guy was broken, man. My wife's pregnant. You know? And it's not my child. I'm just going to put her away quietly, secretly. That shows grace. That shows mercy. Jesus, when the woman was caught in adultery and brought in the middle, and they were supposed to stone her, and they didn't. There was grace. There was mercy there. Interesting. We have that capability. We've been given that option to do that for people. He wants us to be that way. Gracious and merciful. Now, Verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? Um, it was added because of transgressions. Till the seed, I know I've read this, but let me go over it again. Um, Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels, not by the hand of a mediator. In other words, this came from God. Now the mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness Uh, would have been by the law. But the Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Anybody that believes in Jesus is now a child of Abraham. It's done. There's nothing more to do but believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. In other words, until Christ came, the law was there. That's important because now that Christ is here, I mean, obviously, then the law isn't what keeps us anymore. And yet we still go back to it, or we still try to bring it in. The law is still the tutor. The law is still the one. Mm -mm. That's before faith. We were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith. Kept for it. Which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law brings us. We have to come to Christ guilty for it to work, for it to be understood. But once that comes, once you have Christ, then the law has no more effect on you anymore. It's done its job, in other words. The word tutor is kind of a funny word there. It actually means, if you read there in your center column reference, it says, in a household, the guardian responsible for the care and discipline of the children, like a nanny, basically. Not necessarily the teacher, but would be the one that takes them to the teacher. Gets them to school on time. Makes sure that they made it there with all their books kind of thing. And so the law is there to bring us to Christ, who is the teacher. The law isn't the teacher. The law brings us to the teacher. Brings us to Christ. What's the difference? Well, the difference is the law tells us all the things that you do wrong. Christ tells us what we're supposed to do. It's so different. It's so different when you come in contact with a teacher that understands you're not getting it and finds a different way to tell you other than louder and more often. (laughs) That's so frustrating. It was frustrating for me. I'm a difficult student. I don't learn like other people do. I have a very difficult time comprehending things. When you tell me something and it's a long, long sentence, I stopped about halfway through hearing you. I don't know what it is. 
and you have to tell me again or just start with part B because that's where I dropped off. And God knows that about me. And so God comes at me in different ways, and that's probably where my teaching style comes from. I teach differently than a lot of people do because I learn differently than other people do. He's a very good teacher for me to actually go out and live it. There's academics out there. There is brilliant theologians out there that can just wonderful, wonderful guys. Um, And some of them I understand. Most of them I don't. But when it comes to me, he knows how to teach me. And he knows how to teach you. He knows exactly your learning style. He knows what you need to hear, when you need to hear it, how you need to hear it. He knows when to be firm with you. He knows when not to be firm with you. I don't know how to do that with you. I'm not very good at that. I don't understand why you can't get it through your thick skull. <laughs> That's when I've got the end of my teaching, you know. What is wrong with you, you know? But God doesn't, he's not like that. He takes us to diff, do, di, through different things, through different experiences, through different ways to teach the truth of his word. That never changes. But how he gets it into us, And so the law brings us to a place where I'm not good by myself. I'm not going to heaven by myself. I need Christ. I need a Savior. Once we come to the Savior, the teacher, he begins to do a work in us that he will be faithful to complete. And he's doing that tonight. This is one more step. This is not a wasted night for anybody tonight. This is one more step closer. This is a little bit more intimate with God now. He got one little thing further along than you were before you came in here, just by his word alone and by his spirit. Verse 26, and we'll finish up here. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I think that's what bothered Paul the most. At the beginning when he says, who bewitched you? Who put fear in you? Who put doubt in you? I don't know what other words he could have used, but it was all kind of encompassed in that one word, bewitched. Who messed up your faith? You know? And so in verse 26, it's very important for a teacher, a father of these people, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are. It's so encouraging to hear because they hadn't heard that in a long time until they read this letter. They were going a whole other route. I sure hope I am. I I don't know if I am, but I sure want to be. And Paul simply says, no, you are. Through faith in Christ, you are as son-ish as you're going to be. You're as daughter-ish as you're ever going to be. You don't get any more related to God than you already are through Christ. It doesn't get any better than this. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no more distinctions. No one's better than anybody else. Men aren't better than women. Women aren't better than men. Jews aren't better than Greeks. Greeks aren't better than Jews. Slaves aren't better than free. That's the one I'd probably raise a hand over. Well, being a slave isn't great. No, 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 but you're not any closer to Christ or any further away from Christ. In other words, the free man over there isn't closer to God than the slave is. We understand that. Paul just cut through so many barriers. Talk about an equalizer. Talk about an equal rights movement. Equal rights not for a specific group, 
but equal rights. You have sonship. You have daughtership in God. It's amazing what he's done. And Paul wanted them to firmly understand that, to be rooted in that, to be grounded in that. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This takes him back to Abraham. I love it. Paul has such a heart for these people, he wasn't afraid to call them foolish. Now we know it was a term of endearment. You know, why are you being foolish? It's foolish to go back to the law. It's foolhardy to go back to listen to those guys. Stay where you are. You are complete in him. And that's where we'll close. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul and his heart, his love for you, his love for the people that you gave him. His, his, he was unrelenting on making sure that they understood their position with you. Anybody that came in and tried to teach them that they were less than what you had made them, he stood up to them. Whether that was Peter, or whether that was Barnabas, or, or James even, or these guys that came into the Galatian churches and began to teach them that they were less because they weren't Jews first. And he shuts them all down. God, what a great heart. A man who truly understood you. And I'm not praising him, but I am praising the work you did in him. And we pray for the same work in our hearts. That these things would be that important to us as they were to Paul, as they are to you. That we would stay so solid, so grounded in our relationship with you as a son or as a daughter. Good, bad, or ugly. No matter what kind of day we are or day we had with you. Good son, bad son. Good daughter, bad daughter. We are still your, we're still related and you love us, and you teach us, and you help us, and you give us grace and mercy. We thank you for that. Help us to teach that same gospel that Abraham heard from you to those around us. The same gospel that Jesus preached. The same gospel that Paul preached. Help us to be doing the same thing. That same beautiful, gracious gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.